Hi. Hey, what a groovy ditty that was. I love, I love our <laughs> intro. <laughs> Sorry. I could have been doing the fancy like dance. We were practicing that this weekend. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, hi guys. Welcome to the next episode of History of a Haunting and our second YouTube show. And um, uh, we uh, invite you to join us on YouTube. We've got some subscribers. We've had some views. It's been very exciting. Um, very, very exciting. Uh, we are, yeah, we're, we're, I won't say doing good, um, but we are doing things. Stuff is happening. Stuff is happening. Um, we choose to think they're good things, but you know, of course, uh, of course. Uh, so let's just jump right into things and cover our EVPs. Uh, I don't really have a lot. Laura, do you have any EVPs? Kind of been the standard thing. Um, you know, the sweatshirts are up and for sale, um, pre-sale on our website. So if you would like to get one time is dwindling down. Mm -hmm. Um, before we submit that order. So this yes. might be the last episode where we talk about it. Um, Hold on, let me check the calendar. We're, we're running it through close. the 20th of September. Oh, also, so no, close. Two, not, three more episodes, including more. this one. All right. Well, we'll be cramming those down your still, throat for three more Still, don't be caught weeks. at the very last second trying to run to the website to order your sweatshirt. Go ahead and get it now. Mm -hmm. Get it out of the way. Do and it. what else we got? Mm. Um... 100th episode coming up in about in less than 30 days. Oh, shit. That should be pretty exciting. Yeah, dude. I, I should probably write the episode then. Um, you might want to. <laughs> uh, just go ahead and dive into that. Okay. We're actually, Start we're just going to make up our own, our own ghost stories is what it is. Um, just kidding. We're not doing that. Um, yeah, I should probably. I should probably get on that. Maybe I could ask Archie to do it. Maybe. Hey. Uh, he hasn't, re he hasn't written an episode in a while. He hasn't been doing shit around here. I mean, he hasn't. <laughs> shit is piling up that Archie used to do, and it's just not getting done. Um, mm -mm. <laughs> all right, Archie, that's your job. Um, yeah, so we got 100th episode, the hoodies. Uh, we just recorded our third mini episode. We just released episode two a few days ago, last week. Right. Some I Time is lost true, meaning. True. Uh, so we just released episode two. That was on audio only. We released the or releasing the very first YouTube mini episode tomorrow, which is actually um, September seventh. So by the time you guys see this, we released it several days ago uh, on the paranormal investigation that my team and I did of Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, and we had guests on, very lovely ladies, Donna and Connie, um, of Spirits of the Southeast. They were uh, a group, a couple of girls that we met at the investigation, along with a number of really, really phenomenal folks. Uh, so we tell Laura all about it, and we make her so jealous that she will never put motherhood before paranormal investigations again. Never. <laughs> Her regret meter is high on this one. It is a little bit. 
Yeah, yeah. I really yeah. do wish that I would have been able to make that one. Um, yeah. It's such a heavy hitter. So your stories were great, just making my jealousy go up quite a bit. Um, I know it's, it's <laughs> just so amazing. And yeah. I can't wait to see all the rest of the stuff that you guys captured because I know you're going to have quite the haul. Yeah. So yeah, we did. Pretty, we did share. I'm looking forward um, to that. Yeah, we did share some a couple of photos um, that uh, our friends had taken and that had given me permission to show on um, the podcast. So we did show that. And then um, we're going to, you know, as always, Patreons get all of the evidence captured. Um, guys, we are behind on, or okay, by we, I mean me, behind on editing or reviewing our evidence. Um, I actually was so excited about Trans Allegheny that I'm through about 60% of the evidence that I captured on my equipment. So um, the the paranormal investigation evidence releases for Patreon are not going to come out in order uh, because Trans Allegheny is just about <laughs> done. So Eastern State was oh. really great too, but it I anyway. You get them when you get them in the order that you get them. Uh, but you will get them, I promise. So um, that's really all that I had as far as EVPs go. Laura, you did have um, a long weekend, as did I. And there were some yes. birthday shenanigans and for both for you and for um, me, I went to Pittsburgh to celebrate my niece's 18th birthday. Had a great time. Just got home a few hours ago, actually, just in time to record the next episode. So did you have a good weekend? Did you have a good birthday celebrations? I did. So, good. I mean, over the past week, I went camping last weekend, had dinner with my family, went out to dinner again this weekend. Just been all around a great time. So it's been uh, just really nice and um, good. Everybody's been incredibly kind and fun and good. all the birthday wishes all around. So you been, deserve it. Great. As, as good as, you know, getting old can be. <laughs> I mean, Basically. now you're 36. I know it's been really, it's rough for me. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously the kitten flower basket was the best thing you got. It absolutely was. Um, Everybody and their infinite jokes. Really <laughs> carry. Um, sent me a flower basket of kittens. Yes, that looks like a kitten. So it, it was really very funny and unexpected. It was lovely. It was really yay. fun. Good, oh. yay! Fun. See Jennifer, I can keep a secret. Um, <laughs> the first time ever, maybe. ever, yes. ever. Good job. Um, which was funny because Emma got the same exact flower basket of a kitten from uh, her grandma for her 18th birthday. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> so I walk in and I was like, oh, I got the same one for Laura. <laughs> so I said, but hers was a joke and, and Emma actually loves her cat and you know, it, that was more. Right. But you know, Laura just happened to stumble into four cats uh, unwilling and wittingly. Uh, so good. Yes. I'm glad you had a wonderful actually, birthday. the kittens, oh, the kittens just broke. I had this, um, some pottery I had gotten up north um, that's native, that was made by and made Native American like they just kind of put the horse hair inside the it last weekend. No, years oh, ago oh, on the first okay. trip to like the Grand Canyon and stuff with the boys. Um, the kittens oh, okay. over and broke it, so I'm a little bit better with the kittens right now. <laughs> okay, they're bad kittens. They're getting into everything because now they're getting a little bit older, so they're just like climbing everything, knocking everything over like constantly. So. 
So if you guys are He's looking like, to adopt a kitten, four please. teeny tiny toddlers running around my house <laughs> not using program. So if, if you, you have too much stuff, go ahead and call me and we'll go ahead and get you a kitten and they'll just knock everything off for you. No problem. Get yes. rid of that shit. Minimalism yeah. is coming to your house via a kitten. Too many knickknacks? No problem. <laughs> They'll take care of it. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should just let Andy promote the adoption of the kittens. Uh, Laura is... Yeah, uh, maybe my... <laughs> well, do you need some hellions in your life? I got them for you. <laughs> I got them for you. Uh, which, by the way, we have named the kittens Nancy, Carrie, and Laura. Um, so I'm sure Carrie, the dumb one, is who she chose to She's name good. Carrie. Um, it hasn't been doing any of the bad stuff. Um, oh, perfect. But just sits yes. in the water bowl. <laughs> Look, her butt gets hot. Okay, we're just gonna leave it at that. Um, She's menopause. <laughs> I'll flash. I hate you. Um, <laughs> yeah. So let's. Uh, Laura is actually um, adopting out all of the kittens through our sponsor, Love Heals Rescue. So. Uh, you can certainly reach out to Laura or Andrea Langston, who is the owner of Love Heals Rescue, or reach out to them on Facebook. And um, if you have an interest in Laura's kittens, and uh, next week, Laura, why don't we show some adorable photos of those beautiful babies? Of course we can. We can do that. Okay. That I have in spades. They are absolutely adorable. <laughs> that's, the, that's their saving grace at this right. point. But they're so they're cute. cute and soft and fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, that's all I had. Do you have anything else? No, but I think we covered it. <laughs> I think we did. All right, guys. This week we are going to Chicago and we are going to tell you all about the Oriental Theater. Um, so, Laura, why don't you go ahead and kick us off with your sources? All right. My sources are broadwayinchicago.com, wikipedia.org. ChicagoCurbed.com, BellaOnline.com, BlockClubChicago.org, and Chicagology.com. Did I type the one? Is it Block Chicago or Block Club Chicago? Did I type? Oh, that it's BlockClubChicago.org. Yeah. Well, right. maybe we're, I didn't. Close. I'm fixing it for you. Maybe I, I didn't close. like that website, so I just made it. Whatever. I just made shit right. up. <laughs> you um, blocked yeah. part of it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, let's talk about the Oriental Theater in Chicago. I, so our friend Takuma, um, whom we work with, lives in Chicago. So when we decided we were going to do this episode, I had reached out to him and I was like, have you ever heard, like, do you know of the Ford Center for the Performing Arts and the Oriental Theater? Like, it's got this big, like, formal name. Um, and he laughed. He was like, yeah, but they just call it the Oriental Theater. And it was like the Ford Center for the Performing Arts of the Oriental Theater in Chicago, like some right. big, long mouthful of crap. And he laughed and he was like, yeah, but it's just called the Oriental Theater in Chicago. And I was like, oh, excuse me. Sorry. Yeah. Like they changed. So I grew up outside Chicago and, um, did you grow up outside everywhere? Sears. No, just, the, well, sure? I lived for 10 years from like two to 12 ish. Um, in Juliet. Remember I covered the episode? Right, Juliet. your sister was born um, in the prison. Yeah. She was, yeah. Um, but they've changed the name of Sears Tower to Willis Tower now. And I can, I will never call it Willis Tower. It will always be Sears Tower. I think, you know, they changed these names and nobody ever yeah. calls it by the proper name now. No, it's like um, Squaw all. Peak in Phoenix is mm -hmm. now Piestawa Peak. But for... Right. most Phoenicians, we all still call it Squaw Peak and everybody knows what we're talking about. But 
Yeah. Yeah. And they keep changing the names of the stadiums. And I'm yeah. like, what is that now? I'm like, oh, the old jobbing one, which is now State Farm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, no, I can't keep track. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. That's like Blockbuster Desert Sky Pavilion in Phoenix. It's been like a bazillion exactly. different. It will <laughs> always be Blockbuster for the old people. Uh-huh. And yes. everybody else is like, Blockbuster? Like, yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah. That's what it was called for a while. Yeah. <laughs> when and we still had Blockbusters. That's what it will always be. So, anyway. Right. All right. Let's talk about exactly. this theater because it's not a great story, guys. It's, um, well, it's just not. All right. So, the Oriental Theater um, now is called the James M. Niederlander Theater. Um, it originally opened in 1926. It was one of the many ornate movie palaces that were built in Chicago during the 20s by the firm Rap and Rap. In addition to movies, it occasionally shows live acts. The Oriental continued to be a vital part of Chicago's theater district well into the 60s, but patronage declined in the 70s. Later in the decade, the theater survived by showing exploitation films. Um, It was closed in 1981, and its lobby was refitted as a retail TV and radio store, while the theater remained vacant for more than a decade. So the Oriental had er had replaced an earlier theater venue there that was on the site that had opened in November 27, 1903, which was called the Iroquois Theater. Um, That theater burned in the deadliest theater fire in U.S. history. Let me after the fires try to show some pictures. Okay. I won't use the buttons because that didn't work for me last night. <laughs> so I'm just All gonna right. click with the mouse. Hang <laughs> on, guys. So this is the this was it before opening day, right? Mm-hmm. Or like right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And then this. You know, I'm not gonna show it because you want to wait till after. I'm not confident. It's your background, the background that you have. So Laura and I Mm -hmm. have the backgrounds of the location we're doing. And I'm not confident that that, this falls within the timeline you're talking about. So I'll wait. You tell me when to throw it. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So the fires recorded death toll reached over double the death toll of the Great Chicago Fire. Um, Afterwards, city officials closed all theaters in the city for inspection. Oh, really? Um, I didn't know that. I didn't know there's a lot of stuff that goes with this. Wow, okay. Wow. So the Iroquois Theater was built as absolutely fireproof. Um, And it opened in Chicago at 24 to 28th uh, Randolph, which is between State and Dearborn Streets. So they used the the good old Titanic promotion. Unsinkable. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Cool. Seemed to work out really well the first time. (laughs) Right. Um, on Wednesday, December 30th, the musical Mr. Bluebeard, starring Eddie Foy, was enjoying its sixth week of a successful run at the Iroquois Theater's first production. So, I do have that picture. This Keep talking. Okay. Um, so there were about 2,000 people or thereabouts in the theater. Um, of that number, only 1,740 had seats. The rest were amassed in the rear of the seats on the main floor in the first balcony. So in the galleries, even the rear seats of the second gallery were seated people who ordinarily would not have been content with getting less than parquet seats. There were mothers, aunts, and older sisters taking the children for an outing, which fitted only to this one afternoon. Young fellows from college treating their visiting chums to theater and scroll girls out with their young friends for the same kind of outing. Um, A number of the parties consisted of trios of girls under 15 years of age. Um... 
on the other side of the curtain, there were 300 members of the company um, that were dressed up for the production, right? So they were in flimsy garments with gauze, veils of death. (laughs) After later, eh, not good. So... (laughs) Veils of death. Wow. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, basically, they're saying after the... After the, because the fire caught up with them and the flimsy garments just like. That was it. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Not great. So, um, a fire started from a light on the, for all accounts, started from a light on the stage. Okay. Okay. Um, there was a curtain, um, that would have contained the fire that, um, this it, it's made of asbestos, and it, would, it should have been there to smother the fire. Um, really? Unfortunately, right. Okay. Um, unfortunately, there was a series of alarms that should have been given once the fire started okay. um, to bring it down, and it never fell. So the fire leaped from the stage. Um. As if from a furnace door. Um, this is all taken from accounts from the sorry from the Chicago Tribune um, after the fire had oh, okay. um, happened. From um, the surviving... These were taken from survivors okay. and actors and such okay. after the fire happened. Um, so there were open stage exits. Um, behind the fire that drove it across the auditorium and upward towards the galleries of people. So it went, you know, up the, up the carpets and towards everybody. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, the playhouse that was supposed to be fireproof, um, (laughs) burned, um, until the stage was a steel skeleton and everything else was just charred as you can see probably in the picture that you have yeah everything was just taken down there's at, not a lot left no look at that mm-hmm. that's so then this picture here is showing probably like a vip box maybe it looks like it's uh-huh. taken from the stage yeah it does look like it's taken from the stage okay. heading out towards the theater okay okay yeah God. The the very idea. Anyway, go on. Okay. So, when the fire started, like I said, um, it was from a light. So, the reason that the curtain, another reason the curtain didn't fall was that um, it wouldn't have been able to because they had fixed it up high because they wanted it to look a certain way for the production. So at one point, they, some men did try to pull it down, and it wouldn't come down. Okay. So, <laughs> sorry, I can hear Zane. Can you hear him? <laughs> Zane and the kittens are having a fire truck parade. It's fine. Right. Um, so as far as how the light actually caught, so the, there was a boy that was in charge of the light that said that it short-circuited, um, other stagehands said that somebody kicked it over. Um, so they're not really sure exactly what happened at that exact point. But they're sure but it was that light that started. It was the light. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, okay. 
um, in the beginning, um, it, it didn't seem like it was going to be a big deal to get out. Right. So the stagehands, um, had been trying to put it out with, they grabbed sticks. Um, and I'm sorry. They, they were trying what? to beat it out. Yeah. They were trying to like beat it out. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, and that first thing, you know, the audience was kind of stunned and they kind of waited. Um, everybody kind of stopped playing um, oh, what was, you know, happening to see, you know, if they were going to get it out. Um, and then, you know, there was a, you know, the audience started to get scared. Um, and there were cries from a few. Um, and then everybody started to take their first steps toward panicking. Um, at that moment, um, a figure appeared on stage. It wore tights, a loose upper garment, and the fast, the face was one half made up. It was Eddie Foy, who was one of the stars of the show. Um, and he like came on to kind of calm everybody down. And before he reached the center of the stage, he had called out to a stagehand, take my boy Brian there, get him out there by the stageway. That was his son. So the stagehand grabbed his son and took him out. Oh, okay. So once he was like, you know, not worried about his kid, he was yelling at everybody, you know, keep quiet, go in order, don't get excited. Um, and then he bent over the orchestra leader and he told him to play. He said, start anything, for God's sakes, play, 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 and keep playing. Um, and they did. Very the much began to like play. the Titanic trying to keep passengers calm. Exactly. So no one in the theater kind of, you know, was calmed down a little bit. Um, but they could start to see that the sets, because there are so many sets that went in this is a very extravagant play. Sure. Right. So all the sets that normally drop were starting to catch. Um, they played for a while. Um, and he was urging Foy was still there, urging people to avoid panic and trying to get the orchestra to keep going. Um, but one by one, the musicians dropped their <laughs> instruments and got out of there. Yeah. Um, finally, um, the leader of the band and Foy were left alone and he looked around and saw everything aflame and he fled just in time to save his own life. Okay. Um, I was just going to say he didn't die down. in that. Did he? No, he didn't. Okay. Die in it. Okay. Um, so the curtain eventually did come down, um, but by fire and it had like kind of bucked the holding and then fell down. Oh, so, but it was still like that, kind of wrapped up or whatever. It didn't like drop fully. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not not in a way that it could have stopped the fire at this point. Okay. Um, that had already spread all around the stage. Um, so from that moment on, um, there's really nothing that could have saved the people in the upper gallery. Um, the fact that they had calmed people down a bit probably saved a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, to get them to go out orderly, but not enough. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to tell you guys some pretty, there's going to be some gruesome stuff that's going to come up in this one. Just fair warning. Um, At least that's not me so, that's doing it this time. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's my turn this time. So, um, I mean, women were trampled near the rear. Some were injured, injured. Um, most of this point, however, were rescued by the determined rush of policemen at the entrance and the doorkeeper and their assistants. So if they had gotten 
kind of towards the front by this point. They, okay. most of them got out. However, the theater had 30 exits. So all were um, open before the fire reached. Um, but the others, unfortunately, like the front ones were open, right? But the rest of the ones were locked because they didn't want people sneaking in, right? So they were locked. You couldn't get out of them. So they were so, locked from the outside? So if you were inside trying to get yeah, out? Yeah, kind of like... Mm-hmm. So kind of the custom, you couldn't get out from the inside or, you know, you couldn't get in from the outside. Um, right. So there were um, reports of people being able to force some of these open. Um, like there were players, um, like sports guys. There were two doors that were pushed open by... Um, guys that played sports and I believe they were like minor league baseball players or something to that account. They were big enough and strong enough to push the doors open before the rush of humanity. Out so, of 30 doors, there are only a couple they could get open? Yeah. So you know how, like when you're in a theater, you have those doors that kind of along the side. Right. For the, yeah. Yeah. So those were all locked. The only ones that were open were the ones on the first floor in the rear. Okay. Where people would come in and out through the um, entrance. You know, you give your ticket and there's the ushers. And okay. Cetera, okay. Know, yeah. It makes sense. Fine. Sure. Okay. Um, Foy, and like we were talking about, he did not die. So he fled okay. and um, the members, there was an aerial ballet that went with this perfor- like thing. They had, most of them had gotten out. Um, the elevator um, boy even ran, you know, and got some of the people down um, from the higher levels um but as foy and their group reached the outer doorway the stage loft collapsed and tons of fire had poured over the stage the lights went out in the theater with the destruction of the switchboard and all the stage connections so now it's dark they don't have emergency lighting back in the day so one column of flame rose and switched along the ceiling of the theater then this awful illumination also was swallowed up None may paint from personal understanding that which took place in that pit of flame lit darkness. None lived to tell it. So, in spite of the terrible form of destruction, it came swiftly enough to shorten their pains. So, for those in the top, they say, this is, le- this is at least true of those who died in the second balcony, striving to reach the alley exits abreast of them. Six and seven feet deep they were found, not packed in layers, but jumbled and twisted in the struggle with one another. Opposite the westernmost exit of the balcony on the alley was a room in the Northwestern University building, the old Tremont House, where painters were working, wiping out the traces of another fire. They heard the sound of the detonation of the fuse. They heard the rush of the feet toward the escape across the way. So out on the iron stairwell came a man pushed by a power behind, himself crazy with fear, he would have run down the iron fire escape, but flames burst out of the exit beneath it and wrapped itself around the iron ladder. So I ladder, hate this whole story. I know. So one like, of the painters got a la- from a, the building across the alley, got a ladder, pushed it across. Okay. So, so it was could, kind of, yeah, I've seen that painting of people crawling so across. Then that's how the people got across, like got out. They pushed some ladders across to the windows and or the exits or whatever it was and you know the fire exits and gotten 
people crawling across ladders. Unfortunately, not everybody made it across the ladder. Um, and there weren't enough people, you know, there was such a push and everything. A lot of people were trapped because of that. Um, and only so many people could get across them. But God, this is such a terrible story. I'm so sorry. I picked this. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So they got planks, um, also besides ladders and they did as much as they could to get people, you know, out of the building. Right. So, um, the first girl to come across um, was a girl named Hortense Lang. She was 10 years old, and she was bringing her 11-year-old sister across. So she was hysterical when she dropped inside the next room. She said, I was going to jump. She sobbed, but I thought of my mother. I just grabbed my sister by the hand and waited for the planks. I don't know how we crossed. So her mother, Mrs. L. Lang, also was in the theater on the first floor. She got out safely. And an hour afterwards found her children in the Tremont house. Um, the reunited three sat with arms around another for at least another hour. So unfortunately, just 12 people escaped across the plankway. The oh 12th my was God, pursued really? by a, mm-hmm. The 12th was pursued by a pillar of fire, which dashed itself against the wall of the university building. The steel platform was packed with women and children. They died right there. Their body, so the bodies of some fell over into the alley. From within the bodies, others fell apart away from the building. The helpless watchers peering through the smoke could see the heaps of the dead between the seats and along the outside of the gallery. Firemen crossed the gangway as soon as the tongue of flame drew back and climbed over the ghostly wall to direct the stream of water inward and downward. They entered too soon. Um, the fire started again, um, and they had to retreat. Um... One account is of Marshall Campton, um, and he was in command of the firemen. He saw that the gallery um, had to be abandoned. Um, he did see that there were forms of women and children all about him, um, but no movement was perceptible. Um, but he knew that living might be buried under the dead. So he called out, you know, is there any living person here? Um, and there's there was no answer. So... He said that, you know, he ordered his men back. There was, there was nobody calling back. Um, so, unfortunately, most had already perished by the time the firemen even got there. So, when the firemen could re-enter the, th- the theater from the alley side, um, they made it in. They worked on the fire. Um, and then <laughs> they had to turn their attention to clearing the balcony of the bodies. Um, there were a lot of citizens that came to help get the corpses out, um, to the Randolph street exit. And then, um, there were, they had physicians there, but they didn't unfortunately need them. Um, there were injured and they were taken to the Northwestern university, um, building and they were helped by doctors. Um, so the bodies that were dragged out for the most part were unrecognizable. Um, one, there's a story ropes were passed around the feet and one set of men pulled while one man steadied the head of the corpse. They would pull them across the planks. Um, once across over the bodies were cared for. Um, well, they just had so much trouble getting them out. Um, they did cover them blankets and they laid them across in rows. Um, it took um, all day, basically, to get them out. Um, 
unfortunately, uh, all of the stories of what they saw inside, they don't get better. Um, there were a husband and wife that were locked so tightly in one another's arms that they had to take the bodies out together. A woman had thrown her around, herself around um, a child in a vain effort to save them. Um, the sight of the children's bodies broke down the composure of everyone. Um, there were small hands were clenched before their faces to try to get, you know, protection from the blast and the smoke. Um, there were part of the reason there were so many children and mothers in the theater were that there were, it was a day off school and this was the busiest that this production had been. It was an extravagant production and also, um, comedic, right? And there was like a clown in it. So it was supposed to be really geared toward, so, yeah. Wasn't it right around Christmas? Yeah. It, like just before Christmas or? Yeah. Like I think, um, right around, I can go back and look, but I think it was like the end of November. So yeah, like a lot of a holiday season was starting school, probably yeah. for Thanksgiving. Exactly. Okay. So, um, a lot of the ch children, the biggest part of the problem with um, this fire too was wrecking, being able to find, um, figure out who they were because of the damage so to the bodies. Yeah. Were, yeah. A lot of the children and everyone was, they were unrecognizable because the fire burned so intensely. Jesus. So there were some who did jump um, out from higher floors um, to their own death. Um, some jumped from the first balcony. Some just got hurt. Some died. Um, the ones who originally jumped, this is pretty tor terrible, but if this tells you how many people were rushing out and, and dying that they were cushioned by the bodies that were on the bottom. If the ones that jumped out later. God, tell me you are just about done talking. I can't even. I'm so, like, can't even. <laughs> right, I know. Don't cry. So, um, the firemen had come and put out nets, but the nets were black and they couldn't be seen with all the smoke. So, they didn't end up saving a lot of lives. Oh. So, this is when they, this was a big argument for the use of white nets later on so that they could be seen better with the smoke. God. There was a lot that ended up being learned from this yeah. tragedy as yeah. far as I did. What, I did right. read that, yeah. Yeah. So there were also, just like the Titanic, the overconfidence of the theater owner led to a lot of <clears throat> what happened. Um, yeah. They didn't have the proper fire alarm boxes. Um, and so the the fire department didn't even get an alarm until a stagehand ran down the alley and told them that there was an you know, that there was an issue that I know, read those that precious in my minutes were heart, lost. Yeah. There was like four mm -hmm. minutes at least were lost because he had to run down there and manually tell them that there was an issue where there should have been a fire alarm box in the theater. That would have immediately said something to the fire department. And didn't I read somewhere that, like, 
when they were trying to get out, there was like this fireball was like being formed like on the stage or where the fire started. But when they opened the doors, I don't know if it was the fire department. All the or oxygen, what, yeah. Right, raced in because it was so cold and it just fed the fire and then that just pushed the flames, made them even worse and like spread them. Is that, did I? Yeah. Okay. No, that's true. Okay. That, yeah, that isn't, yeah. And the okay. account of, yeah, that once everything did get open, it just made it worse. Yeah. 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 So when they did get doors open, it didn't help the people that were not going out that door right that instant. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. okay. That's what I read. So of the 900 people that were in the first and second balconies, um, few of any escaped without serious injuries. So, so fiercely the fire burned during the short time in which hundreds of lives were sacrificed that the velvet cushions of the balcony seats were burned bare. The crowds fought so in their efforts to escape that they tore away the iron railings of the balconies, leaping upon the people below. Um, yeah, none of this is, is great. Um, so from 3 o'clock when the alarm was first sent in to 7.30 when the doors of the theaters were closed, um, the bodies were taken out of the building at a rate of four a minute. 100 were taken out across the plankway. Uh, many blankets filled with fragments of human bodies were taken from the building. And like I said before, like hundreds were burned beyond recognition. Right. Um, this whole story is just really, really sad. Um, so people, you know, they were, again, trampled very, unfortunately, um, some more men made it out and women and children were kind of left a bit by the wayside. So those strong enough to push their way through did. Um, also like yeah. the Titanic. <laughs> yeah, a bit. Um, so a couple, like one other, you ready for one other terrible story? Oh God. Yes. No, I got some more. All right. Now I know um, how you guys so feel when a, I do my part. Yeah, it's pretty much this. Is, yeah, <laughs> I kind of had this coming. Yeah, I kind of had it coming. You did a little bit. Go ahead. So a baby was found stripped of its clothes, um, just in its shoes. Um, it was found in the far corner of the balcony. Um, in her haste to save herself, the mother apparently had cast the child aside to be trampled upon and killed by the crowds. So great was the confusion in the carrying out of the victims that the majority of those in the balconies whose bodies still contained life were the last to be taken from the building. So they were found underneath the dead, their lives saved by the stronger ones who had trampled them down. Um, and it was discovered that many were living the work of rescuing had begun. So charred and partly incinerated bodies were thrown or laid to one side so that those that might still be alive could be carried out right away. Um, they were trying to get all of them out and there were a few, you know, that were screaming once they had been kind of rescued. But, um, again, the good part of this story, I guess, is the fact that so many citizens came to try to get, to still risk, you know, that everything yeah. was collapsing and, um, not just firemen, but people just came to try to do what they could to save anybody that was still in there. Right. Um, so there was a, um, 
people that were looking for um, their 12 children um, that they were missing. Um, he was able to find um, his children, but not his wife. The husband had come to look and his son and, you know, sister and their other children had gotten out of the box safely, but not his wife. Um, you know, people were pleading to find out where their family was. Um, it was not awesome. So this is from the fire chief mission. Um, he was the first man to reach the second balcony and with a lantern in his hand and half a dozen men behind him, he worked his way through the smoke to the top of the theater and he told his men to go back because he was confronted with a wall of human bodies so high he could not see over them into the door. So he called out to the public to help them carry out the victims. Um, unfortunately, um, some of the people that came to help take the dead out were not the nicest people. Um, there were thieves that had come to help take them out that were taking out their rings, bracelets, watches, earrings taken off. My um, God. I mean, yeah. So, go on. So obviously with the high death out death toll, um, the morgues, um, filled and overflowed. Um, and it took a long time, but I believe, um, Pretty much everybody was a, was actually eventually identified. Um, I think except maybe say um, a few, and then the, I mean after all the of woman that, who sacrificed her baby so she could get out. Tell me yeah, that bitch never got identified, <laughs> right? Exactly. So um, after all of this, um, there was some good that came out of it. Um, Please tell all, me like that. I said, all the. Th all the theaters were closed until they passed a new inspection. Um, and this effect didn't just stay in Chicago. It went everywhere so okay. that this wouldn't happen again. Um, the, the manager of the Iroquois was charged and convicted of malfeasance. Great. Malfeasance. Um, Chicago's mayor was also indicted, um, but the charges didn't stick. Um, the theater owner was convicted of manslaughter due to the poor safety provisions um, it, however, it was later appealed and reversed. Um, the only person to en end up serving jail time was a nearby saloon owner who had robbed the dead bodies while his establishment served as a makeshift morgue during the fire. What a dick. That's the yeah. only person so, that ended up serving jail time for this. When there are yeah. a laundry list of reasons why buildings are the way they are today because of this fire. Only one yes. person. And he was... Basically, robbing, grave yes. robbing, basically, grave robbing, basically, yeah. Mm -hmm. Did I read that so, some like fire officials were brought up on charges too? I because some were like bribed because of the inspections. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. there's talks of that, but it seemed like it was pretty, like the lax fire inspection standards were pretty common. That was 
Well, this is just what they did. You know, you give them 20 bucks and they fuck off. And yeah, because yeah. this is the absolutely fireproof building. Remember, um, the building itself, I mean, wasn't terribly damaged. Like the balconies didn't collapse. Um, yeah. And it actually reopened about a year later as the, the Colonial Theater. Okay, let's see. Um, it was eventually torn down in 1924. Yeah, I mean, you can see, like, the balconies are still standing. The yeah. The basic structure apparently was fairly unscathed. They looks fairly sound, but you can see what you were talking about, the velvet of the chairs. Like, look at that. You can even see some of it has mm-hmm. bubbled and, ugh. Oh, yeah. Yuck. Ooh. Yeah. So that building was torn down in 1924 to make way for the Oriental Theater, um, which okay. then, you know, goes on to be renamed and renamed. Um, one other thing I found that was really interesting um, is this story about the creation of the panic bar came from this. So a salesman from Indianapolis hardware store named Carl Prinzler um, was supposed to be in the audience that day. However, other business dealings called him elsewhere. So in this era, era, it was common for theaters and the like to lock the interior and exterior doors to prevent non-paying persons from entering. Sure. So this obviously stopped people from exiting. So um, all the doors were locked or bolted, right? Which okay. caused many of them to be burned alive or succumb to smoke inhalation. Sure. So this guy, Prinzler, um, was astounded at the enormous and senseless loss of light that night. And he sought a way... For doors into public facilities to be locked from the outside, but to allow egress from the inside with minimal effort during an emergency. Okay. So he tapped into the architectural engineering abilities of Henry H. DuPont to develop a product. In 1908, the first model of a panic bar style egress device was released and Vonnegut Hardware Company, who was owned by Clemens um, Vonnegut, great grandfather of Kurt Vonnegut Jr., one of my favorite authors. I was just going to say, was, any relation to Kurt? <laughs> yeah, and it was. Every relation was utilized to Kurt. Great, okay. Right. okay. So, owing to the joint effort to, to develop and sell the product, it was sold under the name Von Duprin, a combination of the names Vonnegut, DuPont, and Prinzler. So, the popular 88 series crossbar exit devices are still manufactured by Von Duprin and have, um, it's pretty similar to the original design. Um, although they have made some engineering changes. So, um, remember, like, you know, when you go to a theater now and you have that button, that, like, thing that you can press to mm-hmm. go out in case of an emergency? Right. That's this. That's what that is. Just yeah. So this came from this tragedy. So wow. it would release the lock so that you can go out, but people can't. In an emergency. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's cool. Interesting, huh? I think this is the first time I smiled since you started talking. I know. Yes, I think it is too. <laughs> sorry. This is a terrible story. It is. I had and no idea. I'm so sorry. No. That's okay. <clears throat> um, so our new theater, after the Colonial Theater was demolished, um, our new Oriental Theater um, was opened on May 8, 1926. And it was designed by the legendary Rap and Rap. Um and it was one of the first motion picture palaces designed to create a complete experience for the theater patron. Um, still to this day, the decor is a visual art museum, including large mosaics of an exotic prince and princess, 
an inner foyer with elephant throne lighting and multicolored glazed Buddhas, and an auditorium of, quote, hashish dream design. So it is um, diverse, modeled after Indian <laughs> architecture. So hence the name, the Oriental Theater. So over the years, it has presented popular first-run motion pictures, complemented by lavish stage shows. Uh, among the many stars that played the theater are the Three Stooges, Judy Garland, Al Jolson, Sophie Tucker, Fanny Price, Duke Ellington, Danny Kaye, um, Stevie Wonder, Gladys Knight, The Pips, Little Richard. I mean, the la- it's wow. a laundry list. Yeah. Yeah. So, so many. Um, and now the theater does hold 3,250 people. Um, and again, um, it has hosted so many people. There is this one story I found, I found really cute, which is um, in October of 1934, 12-year-old Frances Gum and her sisters performed at the theater but received laps when George Jessel would introduce them as the Gum Sisters. At his urging, they changed their name to the Garland Sisters, after his friend Robert Garland, critic for the New York Times. Frances Garland would later change her name to become Judy Garland. I was like, the minute you said Frances Gum, I was like, hold up, wait a minute. <laughs> I know the story, but I couldn't, I couldn't until you had finished saying No, no worries. That's what I'm here for. So the theater uh, was quite successful up until the 60s, um, through the 60s, but unfortunately, like in the 70s, um, you know, people weren't really going out to the theater as much, and the theater had fell into disrepair. So in an effort to preserve the theater, it was added to the Federal National Registry of Historic Places in 1978, but the building began to crumble, right? does help. Yeah. So the theater was closed in 81, and like I said, it became... Um, a TV store kind of in the front for a while. Um, in 1996, um, the Chicago mayor, um, Richard M. Daly, um, stepped in and announced that the venue would be restored to its original grandeur for the presentation of live stage musicals. Um, it was renamed the Ford Center for the Performing Arts in 1997. The restoration was completed in October 1998 and opened with the Chicago premiere of Ragtime. Broadway in Chicago, formed in 2000, began to light the stage with a record-breaking one of Wicked for three and a half years and the long-run production of Billy Elliot, along with many pre-Broadway world premieres, including The Addams Family, Big Fish, Big Fish, oh my gosh, On Your Feet, The SpongeBob Musical, Pretty Women, and The Share Show, uh, with many more that, that I've also played. There's a SpongeBob musical? There is. I think I've actually <clears throat> seen promotions for it. <laughs> Okay. Um, and Why not? He's everywhere. Right? Sure. Just another way to get me to spend money. Um, in February 2019, the theater was renamed the James M. Niederlander Theater okay. in honor of the legendary Broadway theater owner and producer and patriarch of Broadway, James M. Niederlander. So as the founder of Broadway in Chicago, he has championed theater in Chicago, having presented shows there for over six decades. Wow. And that... Is the story of the Oriental slash Iroquois slash everything theater. Well, good job. That was a terrible, terrible story. And you delivered it very respectfully and beautifully. So, good job. Well, yeah. I know. I mean, I know how hard that is. And there were times where I was like, yeah, there are some tears. Um, but you delivered it very respectfully and beautifully. And for that, I applaud you. Good job. Oh, thank you. 
Yay. All right. So um, is everybody ready to hear what happened as a result of this horrible, horrible, gruesome fire in the form of hauntings? You ready to hear that? All righty. Hang on. We will be right back. All right, guys, we are back. Um, it was like a second to you. Um, <laughs> we haven't <Right>. quite <laughs> finessed the insertion of promos and, and things like that yet. So anyway, we're back. Hi. Now hey. to the hauntings. Boo. <laughs> Boo. Ah, stay spooky. Um, <laughs> now the hauntings that led, that were born of Laura's really, really awful but beautifully told story. Um, Thank you. Yes, you did a really phenomenal job. I'm very proud of you. I'm telling you, I had to leave some. There was, there's always more, and it's not great. So I'm glad you did. I'm we really kind of finessed a little bit of that. I started to realize how very dark we had gotten. I was like, I think we're good. <laughs> Second YouTube episode, and we brought it all way fucking down. The hosts right. are crying. It's It was just, yeah. Right? <laughs> I saw you, I was like, I was like, just that keep was going, bad. it's okay. <laughs> you did a really, really wonderful job, and you told it very respectfully, so good job. You should be proud. Um, all right, so my sources this week are dnainfo.com. It was an article by Ted Cox, bellaonline.com, an article by Dina Budd, Atlas Obscura, Haunt Detective, and WindyCityGhostsAll.com. So... Um, as Laura detailed, really detailed, um, <laughs> Chicago, of course, is a city marked by fire. One of the stars on the city flag represents the great Chicago fire of 1871. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Um, I learned it while I was researching this, but I didn't know it before then. Yeah, right. I think that's pretty cool. Um, that's cool. But today, the Iroquois fire has been all but forgotten, even though it remains the worst theater fire and the worst single building fire in U.S. history by number of deaths. I actually think I read somewhere that the people that died in the Great Chicago Fire were like two to three hundred, where this one was like between five and six hundred, something like that. I've seen accounts up to six hundred and five, and I don't know if that is like people that maybe succumb to their injuries after? After, yeah. Um, but I believe the number of bodies that they pulled out were, you know, high fives. Yeah, yeah. Still. So, yeah, still more than the Great Chicago Fire. Um, exactly. Yeah, which we won't be covering simply because this was far too difficult for both of us. Um, <laughs> so... David Cowan, who is um, a member of the Chicago Hauntings Tour Group, said, quote, any concentration of so many deaths on a site like that, obviously the place itself is going to be haunted by the tragedy. And I think we can all agree that that's pretty accurate. If any place is going to be haunted, it's going to be some location like this. So he said that he has been back there, meaning the alley where they had been taking the bodies and moving them out of the theater. They stacked them in the alley. Um, and he said, I've been back there many times when I'm back there doing stuff. I'm just kind of doing my thing. People who are more sensitive to it are probably people who've never been back there before, but you can definitely feel a presence back there. There is a, um, another gentleman by the name of Ken. He is a co-owner of Weird Chicago Tours. Um, 
He agreed that the site is haunted. In fact, he and his tour groups get more incidents of activity there than at almost any other site in the city, which is really saying something because they've got the Congress Plaza Hotel, which we've done an episode on that. That place is hella fucking mm-hmm. haunted. They've got the Drake Hotel, which is also super haunted. It's also for sale, Laura. So if we can scrape together our Patreon pennies, I really think we should buy it. I think we should too. Okay. Absolutely. Goals. I love Chicago. Right? Me too. Even though I've never been there, but everything I've ever heard, Tacoma's (laughs) constantly been like, oh, and this and that and the arts and this. And and I'm like, okay, I get it. It's haunted. You're there. Squishy's there. It's fabulous. I really want to go. I love it already. Um, now it's just a matter of when can I go? Right. Cause I seem to be booking myself, overextending myself booking wise with investigations and podcast events and me too. Yeah. Sister, me too. Yeah. Um, so the, um, co-owner of weird Chicago tours says not all of the places that we talk about that are reputedly haunted. Do we believe they actually are? Um, but this is one of the places that I think is, uh, he's conducted investigations inside and outside of the theater and there's definitely some activity going on. Bless you. Thank you. I mean, you can (laughs) mute yourself, but this is kind of obvious. (laughs) I know when I was like coughing, I'm like, oh no, it's coming. (laughs) It's like habit to lean away from my microphone, even though I muted myself to like, right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But now you're on YouTube, so everybody still knows what you're doing. Um, So by activity, he means photographic anomalies, such as ghost-like images on photos taken in the alley and shadow people in the theater proper. So there's been, we've talked a lot in the last uh, episode about spiritualism in the Ouija board, in the Mm -hmm. mini episode on Trans Allegheny, and now in this one, we talked a lot about spirit photography. And apparently that's very common in the alley known as Death Alley behind the theater, which is... Um, <laughs> he has said... Such that, a lovely title. <laughs> right? For an alley. I mean, beautiful. Just beautiful. Um, he has said that I've actually seen what appears to be almost like an apparition as real as you or I wandering around the alleyway dressed in period clothes. Um... As you mentioned, there was a sit-down production of Wicked that was performed at the theater from June 2005 until January 2009. Was the most popular stage production in Chicago history. I've never seen Wicked. I have heard some of the music from it, and I absolutely love it. Um, My nephew Jared. I've seen it. It's great. Have you? Yeah. My nephew Jared and his grandmother have seen it. Yeah. They say it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, It's excellent. Yeah. So... Anna Gasteyer, and she was on SNL. Do you remember her? Mm-hmm. I yeah. do. Yeah. She originated the role of, and tell me if I'm pronouncing the name wrong, Elphaba. Uh, I couldn't in the production remember, but that sounds about right. The, yeah, I tried to read the book Wicked, and I could not get, I couldn't. No. The, 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 there's some, yeah. There's, it's like a whole other language kind of weird, you know. Okay. So. Yeah, so but the yeah, role of right. Elphaba in the production of Wicked. Um, She was also nominated for a Jefferson Award for her performance in the play. So on the 29th episode of Celebrity Ghost Stories, which I love, and if you guys haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Um, It's on the Biography channel. Anna Gasteyer was Mm -hmm. actually featured talking about her experiences of performing 
at the Oriental Theater in this play and some of the hauntings that she had experienced, which I was like, oh, shit, okay. Um, she first mentioned um, the now rarely used by the theater back alley called Death Alley um, mm-hmm. since the Iroquois Theater fire when the bodies were stacked there by the firemen. She described the alley as being very dismal and gloomy, and she said that it felt terrible to be there. So she never actually went, like, used it to get in and out of the theater because it was just such a horrible, just heavy bad energy, feeling. bad vibe. Yeah, she just, she just didn't love it. So on December 30th, which was actually the anniversary of the fire, she had a paranormal experience during her performance at the theater. Apparently at the end of Act 1, her character, the witch Elphaba, Elphaba, her character is learning to fly. (laughs) (laughs) And she flies high up into the air. And there's a great deal of fog and smoke, and the orchestra Mm -hmm. is playing very loudly. Do you know what scene I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So while flying up into the air, Anna noticed a lot of people in the wings standing in little groups. After the show, she was walking down this long, deserted corridor to her dressing room when she heard children crying. A moment later, okay. she turned to see a woman and two children standing at the end of the hallway dressed in winter period clothing. Um, the family appeared calm and collected, but out of place and out of time. So the mother especially exuded sadness to her. So Anna nodded to the woman and the woman nodded back to her. They then turned around a corner. The little family turned around a corner and disappeared. And to this day, Anna Gassire has no doubt that the family is one of the ones that perished in the fire of 1903. She said that Wicked is a play for families and children, and it stands to reason that ghosts of other mothers and children would be joining nightly to watch it. Wow. Uh-huh. I was like, well, that is... And after hearing... Because I, I knew about the fire, obviously doing my research on it, I had kind of I had known what caused it. But I didn't get into any kind of depth that you did. So <clears throat> now after hearing your really amazing history on on the fire and the theater i Mm -hmm. i i tend to agree like of course that you know of course they're gonna be and originally that's what that's how they all got there is they were going to see a family friendly production Mm -hmm. with you know the kids being out of school etc they were that's right that was originally why they they went to the theater in the first place right um, fun fact, Eddie Foy, um, because I had come across his name when I was doing my research mm-hmm. too. And I was like, I know that name. And I, yes, Zane, I too was born in the 1900s, but it wasn't, <laughs> you know, 1903. The early 1900s. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I knew that name and I'm like, why do I know that name? So. I Google searched him and he actually did a number of um, performances at the Birdcage Theater in Tombstone. I'm like, that's how I know that name. Yeah, because we when we did the Birdcage Theater on the show, we talk Mm -hmm. about some of the people that had performed at the Birdcage because for a while it was a very popular stop out west. And it was one of the few places that people like variety shows could be performed at. So a lot of people were Mm -hmm. altering their 
tour schedule to include the birdcage. So. Wow. Yeah. Cool. There you go. There you go. More you know. Um... So, local lore says you might feel a cold breeze on your shoulder or even hear your name called by those who might haunt such a location. I was like, ugh. Um, mm-hmm. One person said that I have heard stories of people having a sense of doom or depression when walking through Death Alley behind the theater. I have personally walked down the alley and had experienced a sad or melancholy feeling. But then again... I had already known the story of the fire and probably felt more of a feeling of remorse or respect for the sheer number of lives cut so short during a normally festive holiday season. So again, there's that power of suggestion. They knew. You Absolutely. P- we probably would f- be like, this is where so... it. We probably would feel that energy residually. Um, having nothing to Absolutely. do with, and, with the paranormal. Yeah. And the age of the victims... Right, mm. so many children, so many young that woman mothers, who young left women, her baby. You know. Well, okay, that woman maybe not the best, but you know, maybe. <laughs> Listen. So, um, this person who had wrote this article said I had recently spoken with Adam Selzer of Chicago Unbelievable and Dale Kasmerick of Ghost Research Society about the Iroquois. Shortly before a roundtable discussion of the Resurrection Mary legend, Adam had said that during one visit many years ago to the theater, when it was closed, he recalled hearing the voice of a little girl giggling in the basement of the theater. I asked him if he knew of any parts of the old Iroquois remain, and he believed there is one basement wall remaining from that original building. Oh, interesting. I Mm. didn't know that there was any parts left. Right? That they had incorporated into the... yeah. So if that's the case, then that's just another one of the, you know, it's not the trifecta that you and I consider the trifecta of what constitutes a haunting, but it sure, it certainly doesn't hurt, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. So staff at the theater don't actually like to go into the basement because they do hear cries and screams throughout that area and throughout the entire building. Um, They hate going up into the balcony area alone because shadow figures are a common sight up there. And after hearing your story, now we know why. Um, Are you familiar with theater at all? Did you ever do any theater or or anything like that in your prior 35 years? Um, I like to go to Broadway shows or plays and stuff like that, so any of my experiences are... Truly from the audience. The audience perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had to do, like, plays and stuff in Catholic school, like, um, you know, Christmas plays and stuff. But anything more than that, no. Right, right. So I was listening to um, a podcast that's called Honestly Haunted. And it's a really good podcast. I really do like it. And the two hosts actually used to be in theater. And they covered this location. So... Hmm. That's also one of my sources. I didn't put it up, but I'm telling everybody now. Honestly Haunted, find them on your favorite <laughs> podcast station today. They're really great. Aaron and Aaron. So they talk about this thing called the ghost light, which I guess is a theater tradition. Have you ever heard of this? Uh-uh. I don't know anybody in theater. So when I heard it, I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. So they, it's a theater tradition to have a ghost light. And basically what this is, is at the end of the performance, when everybody has gone home, there is one light bulb that stays lit permanently. One, it's a safety issue. So that you people walking around stagehands or whatever can kind of see, you know, it's not pitch black up on the stage. 
Mm-hmm. So one, it's a safety issue. Two, the widely held belief is that it's there to appease the ghost because it's sort of another widely held belief that almost every theater in the world is haunted. At some mm-hmm. point, an actor has died or a stagehand has lost their life or something has happened. And there are a number of haunted theaters in the United States That's alone. True. Right? That is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's... Um, Kind of like when you tell somebody on Broadway, break a leg. This is sort of one of those like superstitious kind of things that just, they have this ghost light. So it's, the second reason is that it's there to um, appease the ghosts so that they won't disrupt the performance. The third is that it will keep ghosts away and that it sort of acts as a, um, a, a blockage kind of that -hmm. prevent the ghosts from entering the space of the stage to maybe not, you know, so that they, again, won't disrupt it or what have you. Um, Or maybe the, the spirits, especially if they are prior actors that have since passed on, maybe they, it'll help them feel like, you know, Hey, the stage is still yours. We're just sharing it with you. You can, you know, here you are back up here and you can, here's your spotlight or what have you. So okay. I thought it was really interesting that, that there's this ghost light, and it's just sort of common knowledge mm-hmm. that all theaters have one. Um, since the fire, it is said that many spirits are lingering if you walk in that alley. Again, you may notice a chill breeze. Um, even on the warmest of days, you may even hear somebody whisper your name, like I mentioned earlier. Some people report the feeling of hands on their shoulders. So... That reminds me of when Donna was talking about how when they were investigating the back buildings of Trans-Allegheny, she felt Mm -hmm. somebody, like, grab her shoulder. Right. That can't can't be great. Um, Mm -mm. Now, these hands are nowhere... Yeah, for sure. These hands are nowhere to be seen, and no one is around when the person feeling them turns around. So, people refer to these hands as phantom hands. Crying children when none are around is common, too. That... Not surprising. Um, so it's a majority of the hauntings tend to be in Death Alley. So it kind of makes me wonder, like you were talking about in your part, who of the people that may have been like buried under the bodies that were maybe still alive, mm-hmm. maybe some of those people were still alive when they were brought out and put into the alley and they died there. Or I think that's very possible. Yeah. When they were staging people and trying to get them out and mm-hmm. right, then yeah. kind of finding some that might still be alive and trying to pull them out. Right. And I believe they had doctors like, you know, coming to the area to try to work on people that might be really? oh, still alive. Close, yeah. like close. They, Cause they couldn't transport everybody to the hospital so quickly. Right. Right. So. right. <clears throat> yeah. Um, plus I can't imagine that um, burn treatment was, anything great back in 1903 you know what i mean it's still not like, great it's not it's still not, not great to this day but terrible. i doubt i doubt there was a burn unit at you know mm-hmm. northwestern or what have you like i don't mm-hmm. so it the odds of them even if they were able to get medical help right away and get taken to a hospital i don't feel like the odds of them surviving regardless were that great back in 1903 right. um a little higher today but yeah Um, so majority of the cases that I've mentioned are primarily in the alley. 
Um, but that basement, that that got me. That got me. Um, surprisingly, for a place that had such horrible tragedy, such a great loss of life for the reasons that it was, where people were cutting corners, people were being bribed, people were just trying to get this place opened, so they weren't really putting a lot of the safety measures in place. These are all the hauntings that I could actually find. Um, I, but I mean, even one haunting is, is more than enough, really, I think, for a location like this. Um, and it does, this does seem to have, you know, a few. Um, so I did put it here that in closing, um, Laura started it off real chipper and I'm going to end it real chipper. Uh, <laughs> a cold December night when people had just wanted to enjoy a play, they ended up dying. Not to mention they had passed away in the worst ways possible, falling to their death and burning alive. It is no wonder that the spirits are said to be lurking there today after all of these years. After all the bodies were brought out and counted, the total death count was around 602 people. Most of them were not even inside the building. Most of them were laying on the ground in the dark alleyway. This is why the alley is known as Death Alley, and the story still lives on to this day. So. Yeah, I mean, I have no doubt that yeah. that place could for real be haunted after everything that's happened there. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't love it at, at, in the least it's, 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 uh, uh, but the more I, the more I started reading about the hauntings, of, of course it talked about the fire and I'm like, you know what? This is a good one to tell. Even if it's terribly, terribly sad. It is terribly sad. Yeah. And I think that's probably why, um, if anything, it would have a lot of residual hauntings if, you know, yeah. maybe intelligent ones too. But there's so many people that died so uh, horribly and mm -hmm. in such a panic, you know, and that being their last moments. Um, yeah. And of course you have the alley and people trying to cross and get out any oh, way they can. God, and, yeah. Um, just the sheer number as well. Uh, and just and everything I read too was just like everybody believes this place is seriously haunted. They don't like you know. There's not a yeah. ton of specific stuff about it, but just like nobody likes going in that alley, and people don't like to be alone in that theater. And because well, and just I think stuff there's going on. yeah, like they, these are very concentrated hauntings. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, they, so they're the theater's all, not enormous, right? And they're all very indicative of that one event, you know, mm -hmm. a family huddled together, a mother looking sad, um, hearing children crying. The fact that one of the basement walls may be original to the theater. Um, mm -hmm. there's just, um, and alleys fucking are creepy anyway, right? <laughs> like you add all of this and I mean, it's just going to up the creep factor. So, um, yeah, guys, that is the Oriental theater in Chicago. Um, what do you think, Laura? Um, obviously the, the story is really sad, but the, the history, I mean, it's interesting. It yeah. is there. Um, I think it'd be a really interesting place to visit besides the fact that it's not like now it's beautiful. Like it's the rebuilt <gasps> Oriental theater. Which... It is so gorgeous and ornate. We will add the um, current photos of it to our social media. 
didn't show them in the episode um, because I still don't know what the fuck I'm doing with pictures. Uh, but we will add them to our social media and I will get better at this, I promise. Well, they just don't build stuff like this anymore, you know? Um, Not so, yeah, it's good. I mean, for, even for, I'd visit just for that alone, just to go see the theater itself. Right. And how ornate and beautiful it is. So you have that, the history, the hauntings, um, the creepy ass alley. You can't beat it yeah. all, all the way around. You really, really can't. You really can't. Sounds great. I mean, well, as great as that can be. So we'll go there. We'll go to Chicago. We'll stay at the Congress Plaza. And then we'll go to <laughs> this creepy alley. Sounds great. And you tell me if it's not the best date you've ever fucking had. I love Chicago. I'm in. Okay. Yay. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, this is the portion of the show where we talk to you and try to break up some of this sadness and, um, you know, bad, awful things with a little bit of levity in the form of strange history. So, this week... Um, Strange History, uh, my best friend, uh, Jennifer, gave me this book for Christmas called Strange History, and um, we're going to close out every episode with a little bit of Strange History. Laura, this week we're going to travel back in time to that 70s bathroom. Ooh, all right. You're like, really? All right. Um, so, (laughs) what? I'm like, is it orange and brown? I'm just wondering. Probably. I have a a feeling... Yeah. So, um, Rubber Duckies, after Bert and Ernie first sang the song Rubber Ducky in, on Sesame Street in 1970, the Little Yellow Ducks mm-hmm. became a bathroom fixture. Oh, um, that's where it came from? Yeah, that's where it came from. And, I mean, I know the song, but... Yeah. Um, Rubber Ducky, yeah. you're the one! Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, that's when it, like, you know, quacked onto the scene. Blossomed into what it is. It is, cool. yes. That's cute. Um, aqua Velva Aftershave. I don't know of any man in my family growing up that ever used it. Do you? Mm-hmm. Really? Okay. Uh, I don't think that my dad did either, but I know what you're talking about. I mean, you would smell it everywhere. Everywhere. Place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, there's something about an Aqua Velva man. Do you remember that commercial? Said the yes. beautiful blonde woman in the commercial and millions of men believed her. So apparently... That's all it really took. Aqua Velva was the aftershave of the 70s. Um, Johnson's No More Tears Shampoo. The shampoo hit the market in 1953, but it wasn't until the 1970s that No More Tears became the best-selling American shampoo. I I still love the smell of Johnson's shampoo. Yeah, Yeah. well, and I think think almost everybody I know has used something like that or Mm -hmm. that product on their... Yeah. It's just such an iconic baby smell. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, here we go. Here is This is what you were talking about. An Earth Tone bathroom suite. Earth Tones mm. were in. Green wasn't green. It was avocado. Yellow wasn't oh. yellow. It was harvest gold. Uh, brown <laughs> wasn't brown. It was chocolate. And they were all together in a bathroom. It was just, or, or on couches. It was disgusting. Um, um, also your refrigerator, your, <laughs> Oh God, <laughs> right. Yes. Everywhere. Like it was everywhere. Yes. The only white in the house was my, uh, my aunt, my grandma, my, their doilies that my, all of my uh-huh. relatives made, um, by today's right. standards, they're hard to look at, especially in combinations. See, like we just said, um, but they mm-hmm. were all the rage in the 1970s. 
Uh, fortunately, we were born in 77, so we were far too young to have been, although our family did kind of keep them until like the 80s for a while. It was still rocking a little bit, sliding in there. Yeah, for sure. The end. Yeah. Um, the other thing that was big in a 70s bathroom was flower-shaped non-stick bath decals. The last remnants of I remember the... those. <laughs> the last we remnants. We had them in like... <clears throat> yeah, did you have them? Had them My grandma had clubs, them, I yes. When I was a kid. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't us, it was like... I was really young, but I do remember them. And they were like multicolored. Yes, like pale pink and mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the last remnants of the 1960s flower power fad ended up keeping people safe when getting in and out of the tub. Um... <laughs> It was also the decade of the shower massage. Uh, the German company Hansgrohe introduced the first handle adjustable shower head, the Selecta, in 1968. Soon they were everywhere. In the 1974, Teled- the, in 1974, Teledyne came out with the famous original shower massage. Alrighty. Nice. Um, and then the 70s were also known for the fuzzy toilet seat cover. Basically a shag carpet on the top of a toilet seat. It had one major drawback. When the guys used the toilet, the thick cover would make the seat fall down midstream. (laughs) That's on it. Or crush him right in the wee-wee. Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, And then the last uh, bit of uh, strange history for that 70s bathroom, Tidy Bowl. In the 1970s, blue toilet water was clean toilet water. And then there was the Tidy Bowl Man, that little guy in the captain's suit in the boat inside the toilet tank. So, I do remember having Tidy Bowl in our toilets, too, because every time you flush, the water would be blue, and it would be, you know, an indication that it was really clean. And um, I still think they they make those to this day, those little, like, stick-on, like, urinal cake things that, that like, actually, like, fit, um... or they fit into your toilet tank. Yeah, because well, I use the Clorox ones. It's not blue, but like put them in there. Yeah, and know, it just kind of adds a layer of bleach and mm-hmm. disinfectant and whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So I yeah. use those with the white ones, not the blue ones. The blue ones would literally like take me back to my childhood. Right. Oh my god. Yeah. And, and, we totally had those. We had them, and then also the daycares that I went to used them. There was always blue oh, toilet. Yeah. 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 Daycares use them too. Um, so anyway, yeah, that is this week's strange history. I thought that that was pretty funny and I thought we could use a little bit of nostalgia and a little bit of laughs, a little bit of levity. So, um, Laura, would you like to tell the folks where they can find us on the social medias? You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, com, the TikTok. Um, that's it, right? Yeah. Yeah, those are TikToks. Um, you can follow us yeah. all together, individually. All Whatever you want to do. All of the above. Whatever floats your boat. Whatever's blowing up your skirt. Um, to that end, guys, we want to say thank you so much for watching, for listening, um, for hanging in with us uh, as we tell you a really terrible tale and, uh, you know, the resulting hauntings as a result of it. Um, the resulting hmm. hauntings as a result of it? Right. That, that's what that resulted in, right? It's pretty much. It did result in that. Word math. That I was like the result it. of that. That was result. the result of it. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. All right. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for watching. <laughs> um, and as always, like we like to say here at History of the Haunting, stay safe out there because you never know who or what 
is listening. Bye, guys. Hey. See you next week. <laughs>